Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker. Uh, Today we are kicking off season eight of the podcast. We are looking at teens and technology uh, this entire season. Uh, Most likely will be a 10 part series uh, looking at this topic from a lot of different angles. We will have uh, several youth workers on. Uh, We'll have some panel discussions, just youth workers sharing some of the issues that they're seeing in their ministry and how they're going about utilizing technology and then how they're also kind of pushing against some of that. So we hope that these conversations are helpful. We'll also have some notable guests on as well who have uh, written on this topic or done a good bit of research on this topic to help us think through uh, some of these difficult issues. Uh, So before we get to our conversation, just wanted to remind you about our new Bible study. It is a a six-lesson Advent study uh, that should either be available this week or next. Hopefully, uh, it should be available soon for you. It's in the final stages of editing. Uh, If you go to rym.org slash resources, you'll see our Bible study tab, and we have several free Bible studies available, and so this new study will be free as well. Uh, So we hope that it's a blessing to you if you utilize that in your ministry or in your own home or the families in your church using that in their own home. However you use it, we hope that it's a blessing to you. So for now, here's my conversation with Kurt and Linda. Hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker. Uh, Today I have two guests who are no strangers to uh, The Local Youth Worker. That is Kurt Cooper and Linda Oliver. Um, Kurt, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then Linda, you can tell everybody where you are as well. Uh, My name's Kurt Cooper. I am the Minister to Youth at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Montgomery, Alabama. I have a wife and two boys. Uh, Campbell in second grade and Grayson, who is three. And I've been at Trinity for about nine years uh, doing youth ministry. So is that enough, John? That sounds good. All right. Uh, my name is Linda Oliver. I am an assistant director of student ministries at First Presbyterian Church in Rome, Georgia. I work with the junior high students here. And I've been here here a little bit more than five years so that's me all right and i know i I was trying to remember as i was introducing the two of you um i mean kurt you've been co-host with uh me on parenting today and we've promised our listeners it's not dead yet okay we're gonna try to uh, resurrect it at, at some point but you've been on this podcast plenty of times linda you as well i can't remember how many times you've been on? I know you've been on by yourself and then I think you and Matthew Eichard, maybe another time as well. So um, anyway, uh, I, I couldn't remember. So you guys are helping me kick off the eighth season of this podcast. Um, I believe this is going to be episode 313. Uh, it depends on uh, kind of the schedule and all that when this finally airs. But um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Teenagers and technology. Uh, this is something we've talked about on this podcast plenty of times, uh, but it seems like with each passing week, there's something new to discuss. There's some new social media platform, some new trend uh, to be aware of. Um, but this is something interesting that we had uh, been kind of planning on the horizon, and then um, Netflix stole our thunder and, and released the documentary, The Social Dilemma. So um, they're on to us. But uh, it is kind of relevant to be talking about this now, just with this documentary that came out. I'm trying to think, was that September? 
when that came out? Do you guys know? Yeah, I think it came out in September or October of this year. And uh, I know a lot of people have been talking about it since then because it's, I don't, it's one of these things where, and I guess we're going to jump into this about like it, it's a documentary about how we're being manipulated by social media by uh, that's on, hosted by a media company that might be manipulating us <laughs> and features a bunch of people who possibly want to manipulate us as well. Yeah. Uh, and it, and I guess that is like the ultimate uh, definition of the time that we're in is that as I was watching it, I was like, wow, that is frightening. And then at the same time I was thinking, um, I bet all these people voted for the same person um, or, in, you know what I mean? Or I was thinking like, I bet all these people like live in the same area or um, I bet all these people think the same way about certain issues. And I'm like, is this propaganda that's trying to get me to, you know what I mean? Like at some sure. point, like you just can't keep turning it on itself. Like there has to be, and I guess we're going to talk about that about, cause they talk a lot about truth. Yeah. Yeah, we, we might get into that a bit. Yeah. Uh, let, let's just start off, uh, as, as we've shared on this podcast before, uh, there are concerning aspects to technology, to social media. I just want to say this kind of quickly at the beginning. We would all agree technology is a good gift from God. Uh, it is something as Christians we should pursue. Um, as we look at the creation mandate, that gives us support for advancing technologically speaking. We would say the problem is not technology, it is humanity. We are poisoned with sin, and anytime anything gets in our hands, we corrupt it. And so I just want to say it's not just us bashing technology. And we've all, I think, said on this podcast, I mean, us talking kind of personally about um, social media and technology use um, and just kind of our own personal struggles. And so I kind of thought let's let's start there. Just kind of each of us talking a little bit. Um, do, do do you guys use social media? Are you on certain platforms? Which platforms are you not on? Kind of why, why not? Um, let, let's just begin there. Linda, do you want to do you want to start us off on that? Putting you on the spot? Sure. So I I have accounts on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but I would guarantee you that like almost nobody knows that until the fact that I've just said it on a podcast. Like it's incredibly rare for me to post on any of them. The last time I posted on Instagram was like two years ago and I probably make two to three posts on Facebook a year. And I can't remember the last time I tweeted. I'm a lurker and an observer. So like, I will check a few times a day just because I feel like I learn a lot. I think it's important to be a student of culture. Um, and especially as someone in ministry that I'm seeing what students and families from my church are posting and just kind of keeping up with what they're thinking and being exposed to. So I very much lurk, but rarely post, rarely even like something. Um, and so people will see that I, for instance, watch their stories on Instagram, but I very rarely like or comment on anything. Mm. So I, I was just, you know, I, I don't want to get us too far afield here, but I was just thinking, obviously Linda is female and I'm male. And I was just trying to think how it would be received if like, when you asked me that question, John, if I were to be like, well, I'm a lurker, I really <laughs> like, like to lurk. <laughs> and just <laughs> how that sounds coming out of uh, my mouth versus coming out of someone else's mouth <laughs> anyway um, no, that, that could get us into the weeds for sure but no yeah. I, I get what you're saying linda uh for sure mm -hmm. i mean 
Yeah, right as Facebook was the thing when 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 that kind of became came on the scene. I, at first, I was not on it, uh, but then I initially and then I eventually got on it, and then encouraged any kind of youth staff I had to always to to get on it and to start kind of following students just to kind of keep up with them and see what all was going on. And so there is that kind of, you know, putting it in strong terms, that kind of stalker aspect of social media. And again, that word gets thrown around a lot. You know, that that's an alarming word. It should be a sobering word. It's become more normalized and that's not a big deal anymore. Um, but it, there is that kind of lurker stalker aspect to it. And uh, I think we get it. And Kurt's obviously got something loaded, ready to say, go for it, Kurt. No, I was just going to answer the question. That's all. I just, that was my only funny thing is, is that uh, uh, kind of like Linda, I have an Instagram account. I don't think I've posted um, in three or four years. Uh, I, I had a Twitter account. I think it's dead. I've never gone to look. Um, I just quit using it and I've forgotten the password. So I think it's gone. I think they deleted them after a little while. If there's and no your, your picture is an egg. So that, that doesn't like, no, I'm just <laughs> saying, <laughs> um, it wasn't when I had it, but I'm, I'm off of that. And then I have a Facebook account. Uh, I think the last time I posted was two years ago when, or a year ago, I can't remember when it was when, uh, um, uh, apparently someone took the, my profile picture and made a new Kirk Cooper account and started friending all of my friends and so I had to make this post that was like, hey, you know, I don't really use social media. It sounded so like I'm better than you. <laughs> I even said that in the post. I was like, I'm not trying to brag. I don't know how to say this other than I don't post on social media anymore. So if someone is asking for your friendship, it's not me. Um, and that was the last time that I think I've posted on Facebook. But I did recently go back and look through some of my old posts back when I used to post. And <laughs> It, one, it was awesome to see young pictures of my young children, but um, just when they were babies and stuff. But uh, I did also have some comments. I was like, what did I mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> Is it kind of like going back through photo albums of yourself and you're like, I can't believe I used to dress that way. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that I necessarily said anything bad, John. It's like, I don't even know what this means. Like, I'll give you one. I said, <laughs> I, this is an old post from like a really long time ago. It said, I'm trying to keep my opinions on Duck Dynasty to myself, and I've succeeded. And that's all I wrote. <laughs> and I have no <laughs> idea what that means or why it was important or why I thought it was funny at the time. or <laughs> if I, I have no idea. So there you go. Uh, I'd forgotten about Duck Dynasty until right now. But yeah, or until I saw that. And no, I'm, I'm with you, Kerry, kind of going back to something you said earlier that it's hard to talk about this in some ways because it can sound like a self-righteous comment or like humble brag, whatever of kind of how we utilize social media or do not use utilize social media. Um, but yeah, years ago, I just kind of made it a practice to deactivate uh, my Facebook account and other things just periodically to just kind of step back, get away from it. Um, definitely saw a lot of negative habits in my own life. I mean, one of those was just kind of uh, being very judgmental, uh, just assuming why somebody was posting something or whatever. And so I just saw that about my own heart and saw how it was just fostering a lot of negativity uh, that wasn't good for me. But yeah, uh, current, currently. I, I, I do want to say though, just all, all, all full disclosure is that about two years ago when I was the only one on staff here, as far as the youth were concerned, I did have to put Instagram back on my phone but just for our youth account, because that's where we use, and especially during the pandemic, it stayed there. So I still have access to Instagram 
because that's where we put our Sunday schools and our um, and we do our announcements, especially since COVID. Um, but, uh, and, and I can lurk, I guess, through our youth account and see like our student stories and things like that. But, um, my, my own personal account uh, is, is dead. So, or I'm pretty sure is dead. So let the record show Kurt lurks on Instagram. <laughs> um, so he said, I pretty much I, lurk everywhere I am. <laughs> um, I've noticed that about you. Yeah. It's um, it almost rhymes with Kurt, Kurt lurk. It kind of sounds right. I, I noticed that right when it came out. Yeah. Um, so look, I want us to think a little bit about how youth ministry ha- has changed a, a little bit because of social media. And, and I'm going to date myself and really Kurt. We're, we're about the same age. So Linda's much younger uh, than we are. Um, I can remember when texting became a thing in youth group. And I can remember students showing up and they were just staring at their devices and they were sending texts. And I can remember like you had a certain number of texts, like a week or a month and you couldn't go you know, above the limit. You had to pay a certain amount, but I can remember just having discussions. You, well, you might as well be <laughs> describing the horse and the buggy right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I can remember us like thinking, okay, look, you've got a phone. Why aren't you calling people? Why are you texting? This is the dumbest thing. And then it became extremely handy for sure. But that's when I started to notice Initially, I mean, students walking in our building and not even looking at each other, not even interacting at all, and just kind of staring at their phone. And of course, now we've got that times a thousand, you know, with fuel just being poured on the fire of that kind of addiction and those practices with with social media platforms. And so just kind of in light of that, maybe make some observations of what you've witnessed in youth ministry and how social media has kind of changed that a little bit. Kurt, Linda, who would like to react to that first? Kurt's pointing at Linda, I believe. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking on what it was like when I, I think when I first started in youth ministry, I think the iPhone had just recently come out. And a lot of the kids in the youth group I first worked at had um, Blackberries. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's just like, there's just been this, steady progression. Cause I remember asking some of the people I worked with, what was youth ministry like before kids had cell phones? Like, how did you reach them? Mm-hmm. And they would describe to me, Oh, well, there was just lots of home phone calls and stuff, which I was like, this <laughs> is such a different world. And now like the, the idea that I'm regularly just texting students looks so different than it did. Um, when I started in youth ministry 10 or so years ago, you know, and so the, the way that students communicate with each other is way different. Um, and their students weren't as tied to their phone at first. And like junior high students having smartphones wasn't a thing, um, when I first started. And so, yeah, you just see increasingly students that can just sit there and endlessly scroll through TikTok or whatever. And, um, how over the years we've had to implement rules about whether or not students have cell phones on retreats um, and stuff like that, because it just, it has become more of a battle the longer I've been in youth ministry. Yeah. And and Linda, I want to get to some of those rules and things like that, because I think that's Mm -hmm. an important discussion. Kurt, just kind of reflecting on kind of initial, uh, I guess, memories of, okay, yeah, technology coming into youth ministry and how things changed. Uh, what, What comes to mind there? Well, um, first, I mean, this is not me like 
if you've been to RYM in the last like five years, you know, I taught an elective at several conferences two years ago about phones specifically. Um, and then uh, before that, uh, two different times, I think I've taught on social media. So a lot of what I'm going to say here is going to be all the things that I said then, which were stolen from smarter people. So none of them are original ideas are still true today. Like there's nothing is my opinion about these things has not changed even an inch. Um, but yeah, you know, from being, I know I'm an old man, but you know, since we're doing through ancient history, um, you know, I remember having a cell phone. I was one of the first people in my, um, to have a car phone. But I remember in youth ministry, I guess, like Linda, um, I remember when the iPhone came out. I think it came out in like 2009, I want to say, or 2008, somewhere around then. And uh, and we only had one student to get one. And before that, it was like T9, Nokia's, you know, the bricks that you could throw um, pretty much against the wall and it would be fine. You play snake on it. And, um, <laughs> and they were really, literally, they were only used for communication. That's what they were used for. There was, it might as well have been a walkie talkie um, for all intents and purposes. Not, you know, and texting was becoming a thing, but even that was just, um, you know, it was just bare bones communication. And I guess the, the big difference to me is that it changed, um, it changed our, as, as phones have become more and more prevalent with junior high and high school students, it's just changed the way that they've interacted face to face. They do it less and they do it less well. Um, so uh, they, they don't, uh, I mean, a common thing, this is, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, a common thing to see when I was in high school and even when I was early on in youth ministry would be two girls like whispering to each other and giggling, you know, one of the best ways to make, you know, the boy close to them feel very uncomfortable, right? It's a great tool that they use and, um, and more power to them. But now you don't whisper um, to each other. You just text each other. Why would you whisper? Um, you can just text each other and you can, you know, it's a private conversation. So it's just weird things like that, that have, that have changed, um, that have changed the way that youth ministry works and looks and, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I, there have been some positives, especially because of the pandemic. There have been some positives about having this technology. But you said, you know, we're for technology. I would say the only thing that would change for me is that I'm not as I can't as thoroughly give an endorsement of technology um, as you did at the beginning of this podcast, um, especially after watching the social dilemma, just because mm -hmm. I think some of the I think that technology can be created for evil. Um, yes, can be created for good, you know, in that kind of technology, I would say, yes, you know, even good technology can be, you know, used for evil purposes, you know, a knife is a great tool, you know, you know, for a lot of different things, but it can also be used to cause great harm. But some things are just created for harm. And um, the more as we've gone on this ride with these phones, I, the more and more I think that some of it is literally just created for harm and not good. So, And I would agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. I think we're going to get a little bit more into the the weeds in a good way of, of some of the um, dilemmas. Well, that's the only word that's coming to my mind, but <laughs> so some of the dilemma that we have with, with technology, uh, some of the issues, some of the concerns that have become very normalized and don't seem concerning and may almost seem strange to point out, but, but they're concerning. And I think we need to wrestle with these as Christians, especially as we're dealing with preteens and teenagers and how they impact them. Uh, Linda, I wanted to go back just some of the rules that are kind of set up in your youth ministry. And let's just go ahead and say, I mean, this is becoming increasingly 
more difficult to have any kind of boundaries set up in ministry, any kind of rules set up. Um, I mean, I can say I got some very hard pushback when I was in youth ministry. And I mean, this is just, you know, in the local church just four years ago, um, had some, some parents get very angry uh, just about trying to limit any kind of uh, phone usage on trips and things like that. So Linda, why don't you talk just a little bit about some of the rules you have set up and then you as well, Kurt. Yeah. So on the junior high side of things, any, um, out of town trip that we do, we don't allow students to have their cell phones. We, so like for a fall retreat, um, we can incentivize that because we break them into teams for the whole weekend. And we say, Hey, if you didn't hand your, if, like, if you have, an iPhone or iPod or whatever electronic device with you and you didn't hand it over to us and we catch you with it, you're going to lose a lot of points for your team. Um, and that trip, we wouldn't give it back to them at all until the very end. But if we're going on a week long trip, like a RYM, the way we've handled that um, to kind of balance um, the communication that the parents would want is we tell them like the students will get their phones for it's about 30 minutes to an hour each night. Um, and some of them will talk with their parents during that time. And then some of them just endlessly scroll through things. And it's like a battle to get them back. When I say, Hey, you have 10 minutes left. I'd have to keep reminding them. But so that's how we've done it on trips. Um, I think the high school ministry um, leaders here, let the high school students keep their phones on their trips and just kind of, are careful to give them reminders sometimes of like, Hey, now's the time to put your phone away. Um, I really couldn't speak to if they feel like that's a increasingly harder battle. Um, but that's how we've implemented things for the junior high side of things. Yeah. And just to, uh, to echo what, what Linda said on our side, uh, we have some things that are strictly, uh, no phone things, uh, you know, we, we go on a retreat during Martin Luther King weekend, and uh, that's a no phone retreat. Uh, we take a bus and our children, our children, our students are allowed to have their phones on the bus. But once we arrive, everyone puts their phones in a um, uh, in a box on the bus and we just leave them there. And then um, and then uh, for junior high RYM, we typically don't let them take their phones. And we just say, we don't even let them take them, even for the week-long trip. And we just say, hey, if you have an emergency call, uh, we take plenty of chaperones. So call one of the chaperones um, and, uh, and do that. For high school RYM, it's more laissez-faire. We let them bring their phones. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we don't really take them away. So that's kind of our, our attitude. Um, we don't try to, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, and I guess it depends on the makeup of your group. Uh, but uh, I thought it was cool, Linda, how you said you divided them into teams and, you know, you punish them if you, uh, if, you know, it hurts their team. If they, uh, I have some students who would be like, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> I just want my phone anyway. <laughs> well, let, let, let me, let me jump in here and say, I mean, very similar policies that we had in place. Um, and as I said, I mean, we, we had some parents give some, some big, big time pushback. I mean, there was one parent, um, who kind of went around my back and talked to one ruling elder, the ruling elder called me and then went to another ruling elder, the ruling elder called me kind of talk about these things, but the policy we had created was approved by the youth committee and then sent to the session of our church. So every elder had seen it and approved it. Um, but this parent was very 
adamant about their student having a phone. And it was insane, uh, just to be blunt. Um, what kind of pushback have you guys seen in your ministries as you've tried to implement some kind of policies? Uh, well, start with you. I'll go first. Uh, and I want to make Linda go first every time. <laughs> uh, so uh, I would say th- that you have the most pushback that we get um, is moms of younger kids, like in junior high who have, who have phones. They don't always like it that they can't be in contact with their kid. Uh, that that's like the biggest, and it's not necessarily like a hard pushback. Uh, you know, we're in the deep South, so everything is done politely. Even when people think you're out of your mind, they tell you, you know, they say, bless your heart. They don't say you're crazy, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, there is some pushback on, you know, and there's always someone who thinks they have an exception, a really important exception to that rule, you know, like, well, I know that you don't let them have phones, but you know, we're doing this or we're doing that. And, and that's the, that I don't really consider that pushback uh, that much, but there's not a lot of like, there's not a lot of like, uh, direct, uh, defiance, I guess. I haven't run into a lot of that. Sometimes our parents are like, good, take their phone away. We'll keep it here. They don't even need it on the bus. Um, they're, they're, so, uh, it, yeah, I guess that's not really a good answer, but that's my answer. Yeah. I think ours has been similar. I ha- haven't gotten any really strong pushback every now and then there is like a, Hey, my student does have her cell phone because of this extenuating circumstance. Um, and I feel like there was a time in the past year that I let that student keep the cell phone, but I can't remember the details of that, why it was, but it made sense. And it was a student I actually trusted to not, um, take out her cell phone. But, um, I mean, we we're clear to communicate with the parents beforehand on trips. Like if you need to get in touch with us, here's how to get in touch with me or another staff member and like with the place that we're going to. So it's been pretty smooth as far as I know, unless like other staff members have had to deal with um, complaints that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, and we know just trying to take it away in any way, shape or form, it's going to rub people the wrong way. It's going to be a battle with students. It is. I mean, as we talk about addiction, that is not uh, an extreme word to, to be used at all. And so if you're removing something from someone that they're addicted to, uh, be it alcohol, be it a smartphone, whatever, there's going to be uh, some tension there. Um just wanted to read some stats. So Jonathan Haidt, who was one of the authors of The Coddling of the American Mind, along with Greg Lukianoff, I know uh, he was the the co-author as well, but Jonathan Haidt was on Joe Rogan's podcast not too long ago. Um, But uh, some of these stats were relayed to him. So between 2009 and 2017, the number of high schoolers who contemplated suicide increased by 25%. The number of teens diagnosed with clinical depression grew 37% between 2005 and 2014. Um, It said among preteen girls aged 10 to 14, rates of self-harm are up 189% since 2010. And that's about triple what they were six years before. So Joe Rogan says to Jonathan Haidt, what happened? And his response, social media. It was an immediate response. He did not even hesitate. That was his response. And of course, he's done extensive research. He bases a lot of his research on Gene Twangy's research that we have um, highlighted on this podcast plenty of times. Um, so my question to the two of you, look, 
Should youth workers make a push to stop utilizing social media in their youth ministries? I mean, suicide, depression, anxiety, pornography, so many other evils are out there. And at the same time as youth workers and again, youth ministries utilizing, communicating through social media, we're just drawing them back to these platforms and these devices that seem to be feeding a lot of horrible things. Um, and this is kind of, Kurt, maybe we're, you're, we, we're getting into some of the evils of technology and should we use it and should we take a strong, stronger stand? I mean, for me to even say, should youth workers utilize social media sounds absurd, okay? Because that's where our students are and we've got to reach them, right? That's going to be the case that's going to be made. Um, but should we push back? Kurt, Linda, what do y'all think? Well, I mean, it just sounds, I think the discussion should be had. I think it's going to be a difficult uphill battle to, to climb because it feels like, you know, you can't. No like doubt Pandora's, it's going to be an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. Pandora's box is open. And, you know, I just keep thinking if we, if we only, if we emphasize, which we do emphasize person to person interaction, I mean, what can't be like, what is in the background of all this conversation is the fact that most of my job has been done on social media for the last like six, well, for a significant period of time in 2020, most of my job was done on social media. So the idea of not doing it is kind of a weird thing to even consider. Well, uh, but, but let's even just kind of dig into that a little bit and say, Seriously, like how much was actually accomplished over social media? People have said, yeah, you, you put the devotions out there, all that stuff, but you look at the analytics on that and they're not even really watching them. And are they even kind of playing them in the background while they're also playing Fortnite or streaming something else? So like how much ministry was actually being accomplished even in that? But I hear what you're saying. I mean, what mm -hmm. options do we have in the midst of a pandemic? So yeah. maybe Linda, react to this a little bit and kind of some of the pushback and, and thoughts. Yeah, I think, you know, I would be really curious to see like where this dis discussion goes in five years. Because um, I think that right now, like I wouldn't land in a place where I would say we need to get off social media as a ministry, but like we do need to be very aware of the ways we're using it and what's that, what, how, how that's like influencing our students. You know, because I think that it is a good principle of ministry that like we need to be where our students are. Um, and so one of the places they are is social media. Um, I, I think it would be difficult for me to completely ignore uh, a place where my students spend several hours of their day. Like I need to know how to speak to that. Um, but I think it's like, you have to be careful and think through is the way that we're utilizing it as a ministry feeding any of the addiction, the isolation, um, the comparison? Is it nudging students to connect with us more online or is it nudging students to connect with us on person? And, you know, like I've seen different youth ministries, I don't follow many, but I've seen different youth ministries use social media in different ways. And I think that we, here use it less and in different ways than some of the other youth ministries I'm seeing where 
because uh, I think it's it's easy to accidentally fall into posting pictures of like you being with certain students and it looks like you favor those certain students or certain students like show up to the programs every week and they end up in the pictures and then they're constantly looking at themselves and being like oh well I look so bad in that picture or you know it just feeds comparison in these little ways that um, you have to be careful to, about um, and watch how it's nudging the students is it yeah. nudging them more towards that kind of stuff or towards the face-to-face -face relationship. Yeah. And I don't know if this is going to be an argument that for what Linda just said or against what Linda just said, but I, I can tell you this. Um, I thought I laughed, but I was on mute when she was talking about how students look at all, you know, the students who come to everything, they end up being in all the pictures. And then they're like, especially if it's like pictures from when they were in junior high, they're like, Oh, I look so everyone looks weird in junior high. You know, I, I would argue that everyone yeah. is as close to Gollum as they can possibly be in junior high, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but except for the people who are already like, you know, who are like mature early, like the, the, the early bloomers or whatever, you know, and then everyone catches up with them, you know, whatever, enjoy your peak. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was just going to say that, you know, one thing that we did uh, a while ago is that we took a ton of pictures from RYM, from uh, retreats, from mission trips, and we got them in black and white on canvases, and we lined the hallway of our youth department with all these pictures of this. And it's it's getting about time to kind of replace those, move some of the older ones to other parts of the hallway and put some newer ones up because a lot of people have graduated. You know, it's all this turnover. But, you know, that's not social media, right? And yet the same thing is happening. Um, parents are counting how many times their student shows up on the wall, right? And uh, they'll say, well, how come so-and-so? And, you know, I mean, I always say, well, they came to more stuff. I mean, if you come to more stuff, you're going to get more pictures, I guess. But, you know, is that like a sense of righteousness? And that's not even social media. So some of these problems would exist even if to, a, to some degree, even if social media didn't exist. At the same time, I mean, this is something that we're going to say over and over again is like the problem is not the problems in our heart. And what social media does is it exacerbates the problem. It makes it um, more apparent. It gives it more voice. It makes the squeaky wheel even squeakier than it would be otherwise. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I completely agree well, with what Linda is saying, you know, uh, it's hard to make illustrations about this, but, you know, I think and people would laugh about what I'm about to say if they know me really well. But if we were trying to get students to work out, if that was our ministry, instead of like reaching them for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it was just fitness was our goal, but all of our students were constantly getting together to eat ice cream. Would we say, well, I've got to go eat ice cream with the students because that's where the students are. Right. Um, even though it is, it, even though it might be detrimental to our goal and right, it might be encouraging pulling them away from, what we want them to do in the same way. I think a hard question we have to ask ourselves about social media is even though you can find examples of like good and productive things that are done on social media or things that point people toward Christ in the aggregate or in the whole, are we pulling people away? Is, is it really actually pulling people away from Christ and more and deeply, more deeply into themselves into you know, self-loathing and self-hatred and all those things. Um, so and yeah. yeah, so I, it's a question I'm not qualified to answer. I'll wait for someone really good to read a book and uh, to write a book about <laughs> it. I'll read that book and then I'll pass that stuff off as my own 
thoughts. So I'll, that's- I'll push back on you and say, um, it's a cop out that you're not wanting to answer that question because you are qualified to answer that question. You've been in student ministry for a while. And so kind of taking your analogy a little bit further, let's talk about this. Um, if our students were going to bars and getting drunk, we would rebuke them. We would confront them. Um, they're doing something that is just as addictive as any of that. I mean, it's, it's destroying themselves. I mean, it is, that is not too strong to, to say that. Um, I mean, again, Tristan Harris, who, you know, was on the social dilemma and uh, one of the key engineers at, at Google had Jonathan Haidt on his podcast as well. And they said the correlation between depression, anxiety, all that with, with smartphones is clear, but the more screen time, the, the greater the increase in depression and all of that. So the more we're driving our students to these things, the greater the chance we're increasing their anxiety and depression. And, and like I said, th- this is, uh, you know, using the, the kind of bar analogy and them getting drunk, we would rebuke them and correct them and, and rush in to try to help them if they're doing something that's detrimental to their health. health well, as of now, we're giving them the bottle. <laughs> we're opening up another beer for them and putting it in their hand. So, Kurt, Linda, what are y'all's thoughts on that? Push back on that. Is that too extreme? Who wants to go first? Well, I liked my illustration better, of course, because it came from my <laughs> it's mind. I, well, it's ice cream. Come on, everybody likes ice cream. Yeah, plus ice cream is, you know, ice cream. Drinking, if our students were drinking, it would be illegal. and have a Romans 13 issue there. But anyway, um, no, it's it's fine. Your analogy is terrible, John. Try um, It's clear that you've been out of youth ministry for years. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the things, Linda, that's very important in this podcast is that we both pick on John a lot and I'm really carrying the load right now. So I'm going to need you to be a little meaner. Um, uh, no, no, I seriously though, to me, I want to wrestle with this. So this is, this is, I agree. I just don't know. Like I'll ask Linda this question and then maybe I'll try to answer it. But Linda, could you imagine doing, I imagine that you minister to a lot of junior high girls. Okay. Cause that's like your job. I don't know how many girls you have in your ministry right now, but like sixth, seventh, eighth, even ninth grade girls and older. Right. Could you imagine how much more difficult would your job be? Or, and it doesn't even matter how much harder it would be. Cause that's a question for you to answer. Uh, but what would it look like for you to say, you know what, by example, I'm just going to be off of all this stuff. Not only am I not going to like post and produce content, but I, I'm just going to not even consume it. Like if you, wh- how do you, th- how do you think that would affect the, what your ability to, to have a relationship with these girls? Would they look at you as a weirdo? They probably already do They My students, well, that's me, you know, projecting a little bit. My students definitely look at me as a weirdo, but, um, what would that look like for you? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think some of them it wouldn't affect at all because increasingly what I'm seeing in junior high is there's a contingency of students who probably won't have a smartphone till they're 15. Mm. And then I have other students who have free reign. Um, and so it's two kind of very different experiences of technology and media that I'm seeing, which is very influenced by the, um, the families. But the, the girls that are all over it, um, I feel like they, number one, don't know that I even have social media. And yeah, there's an extent to which if I, 
if I wasn't on social media and seeing what they were posting, I would know less things about their lives. But I think there is an extent to which we can use social media as kind of a cop out for like really getting to know someone. Like it feels mm. like we know someone more than we do just because we've observed their life online. And that really just means we're observing the way that they like want to project themselves to the world, which is one thing like, like can be good. It's good for me to know what, what do my students want the world to see them as. Um, but then it's another thing to also get to know, like, but what is the student actually like underneath all of that? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I think it, it could affect it in some ways, but at the same time, I, I think I could do without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a I, good point. I was just going to say, um, would you say what I was thinking when you were saying that is what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that there might be an inconvenience to it. You know, I was thinking about uh, when I, when I got off Instagram, uh, maybe a couple of months later after I got off Instagram, a kid in our youth group broke his hand in a soccer game and, um, or, and, I didn't find out about it until uh, like a week after it happened or like several days at least after it happened. And I was like, Oh, you broke your hand. And everyone's like, how did you not know that? And I said, well, I haven't seen him since, you know, whenever. And they're like, well, it was all over Instagram. It was all over. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I don't know if that made me look bad, you know, as a minister that I didn't know one of my students had suffered an injury or not, but I remember thinking like, Hmm, this is a cost, right? Like this is the cost of not being online is like, Mm -hmm. I like, because there is a general assumption among, you know, especially among older students that you are consuming their content that you are watching. And when you don't know about something, it's like, well, why wouldn't you know about it? Um, yeah, I'm going to jump in and just say, I think that's a good thing. Um, I, I think that, so much of the issue here, or not the issue, but the way we model our technology use to our students is vitally important. Um, That if they see us constantly on it, constantly posting all that, we're we're no different. And we are to be different from the world. And I mean, that's definitely, uh, I mean, communicated in in scripture that we are to be in the world and not of the world, that we're to be lights in this world, salt and light. And so, that applies to the way that we utilize social media. And so I think for your students to hear, oh, wow, somebody did not see this. That makes you different, Kurt. And that sets you apart differently. And I'm not saying it's, you know, the best scenario, all that, but I do think it's a good thing for our students uh, to, to hear that and to, to be challenged with the reality. Not everyone is on this thing. And again, I think that, yeah, some of that just goes back to um, our practices in front of our students. It's, it's vitally important. Can I, can I transition this just a second, John? I know this is your show, but I'm just going to take over for a moment and say, <laughs> I want to run back to something else about another way in which we've talked a lot about how our students are always on it and how that might be affecting them. And we think about like, you know, like suicide among young girls is way up um, because of, you know, they're trying to reach, you know, the an unreachable beauty standard. They're holding themselves up against, you know, manufactured people, basically fake people, um, who don't look the way that they say they look, um, or they seem to look online and, and, and they're hating themselves. And, you know, so that's, that's, you know, that's all in the social dilemma, but I just wanted to come back to the idea that is social media and even our discussion of social media and the way in which we think it's influencing us. 
is it encouraging our students to not believe that there's any truth whatsoever to question literally everything? Um, and, you know, we, we, you know, I already said this at the beginning, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the social dilemma was how it, um, if you watch it clearly, there's kind of a, there's an agenda, even in the social dilemma, uh, you know, you can see that they do their best to try to like hide what they're trying to say, but really what they're the, if in the story parts there, it's kind of like a documentary with a little narrative spliced in is that, you know, the young white kid in the family that is all different races. And I have no idea why the decision was made <laughs> to have, um, you know, they've got it. Look, I, I don't know. Maybe they're all adopted. Um, I, I mean, I guess it was made because they're trying to say this is every family, but you know, there's a black, it's a black father, a white mother, two white siblings. And then what looks to me like possibly an Asian or maybe, uh, an, yeah, like maybe an Asian, uh, uh, sister. So it's just like all over the place, but the, the story of the boy, which is the main focus of the story is like, this guy started looking on social media and they do their best to obscure it. But what they're really saying is this guy became like a far right winger, um, or a far left winger, I guess we became part of Antifa or became part of whatever the right wing version of that is. Um, you know, because of social media and, you know, he was believing lies and all that stuff. But, but then, you know, my question is, these people are convinced that there are people that are being manipulated by social media to believe lies. Well, they, and they themselves confess that they are manipulated by social media. And so they are believing lies. And so in the end, there was a long discussion about what is truth? Like if we can't agree on what truth is, then how do we communicate with one another effectively? And this is where the gospel really steps in uh, to the conversation. You know, uh, this is where people need the church is because we believe that the truth is a freedom-inducing factor in people's lives, that there is a truth. You know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, you know, and that the, you know, the truth sets us free. And, uh, you know, are we, are, are we raising a generation of students who are not going to believe in truth because either they are buying all the lies they're being sold on social media, or they've seen through the looking glass and now they don't believe anything is the truth. Uh, that's a pretty depressing proposition, but that's one of the things I got from the social dilemma. You guys can take with that what you want. Yeah. I, I want Linda to speak up. I'll say this quickly and then I want Linda to jump in. Um, Linda, either ask a question, respond to something, because I feel like we've been talking. But I think the silver lining to that, Kurt, is I hope it's going to create greater discernment. Um, that's just an optimistic, positive outlook on it. Um, I mean, my daughter, which she you know, she is in youth ministry. So that, you know, I've got a daughter now who's in youth ministry. And so I'm a parent of a teenager. Um, you know, we're very strict on any kind of social media use and device use. Um, and we feel like, <laughs> I mean, just we want to wave the white flag constantly because it's just, it seems like it's a losing battle, but there's so many things she'll share with me. And I'll say, is that even true? Is that picture even accurate? Is that a deep fake? Whatever. I'm just trying to instill in her <laughs> the obvious, not everything you see on social media is real, is accurate, should be trusted. And so hopefully that's just going to, um, increased discernment because at the same time as believers, I mean, typically uh, students as they are, you know, 
growing in their faith, they do begin to exercise doubts. They begin to question things and that can be a good thing and that can be a healthy thing. And so I don't think it's all bad, but I hear what you're saying at the same time, Kurt, and it can be sobering too. Linda, please speak up on, on something uh, that we said or just something new that you want to bring up. Yeah. One of the things um, that kind of connects with that, that I was thinking about in preparation for this podcast is um, just how we see that people, and we see this with our students, are increasingly going to the internet to find uh, like whatever to believe in, whatever narrative, instead of to people in their lives, right? And so you can see that in the narrative of the social dilemma. Um, but then also with students now, it's like they, they can go to Google or they can go to Facebook and Instagram to get the the version of whatever current event is going on. And, and they just, they get their information from there instead of from real people in their lives. Um, and I think what that connects to for us is like, God, God designed us to be in churches in relationship with each other. Like I should be more shaped by my local church than by just kind of anyone out there. Um, and I want students to recognize that they need to look to older, wiser believers in their actual lives instead of just looking to this affinity group that some algorithm led them to on a social media platform because these people get me hmm. um, and they, they understand the problems that I have. And like, yes, those things can be useful in some settings. Like I have joined random groups where we mutually love the boy band NSYNC. <laughs> but like you can do those just for no, fun, no shame but, no shame in yes. that well maybe a little shame hold on <laughs> no zero um not, not even one percent mm-hmm. <laughs> okay uh, linda i mean you're you're bringing up a, and did i cut you off did- uh well i mean i was pretty much just going on the same thing like yes you can those things aren't all bad but those things can, I guess, replace the real relationships in our mm-hmm. lives. Yeah, no, I think you're bringing up a good point because it's like, yeah, social media, Google, all of it's just becoming a mentor for these preteens and teens as, as they use it. And I'm thinking of Abigail Schreier's new book, Irreversible Damage. Um, she She's showing, and she's not a believer, uh, but she's showing the statistics on preteens, uh, girls specifically, uh, just how it's increasing, uh, their, you know, in the transgender population, uh, that I think preteen females made up 0.001% of the transgender population. And that has increased by 1400, uh, percent, um, in the past just couple of years. And the link is social media, YouTube, students being catechized, mentored, if you will, on just pursuing this. And there's so many reasons why, and again, so many reasons why social media is kind of feeding that. And so it's it's very alarming to consider that. Um, look, I, I know we're going to be drawing this to a close pretty soon. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of, you know, as we think of like Christian practices, okay, like Christian spiritual disciplines. I mean, even just, uh, reflection, you know, kind of having focus on, uh, prayer and, and the Bible. Uh, and I just think of that. There's so much that just kind of goes along with the Christian life that seems to be, um, 
warred against by just social media, kind of the instant uh, notifications on our phones, all that kind of stuff. I think of the book, The Distracted Mind and how our minds are becoming more distracted. I'm just thinking about the church of the future and the concerns that are there. You know, if you think of critiques of youth ministry, kind of the fun and games youth ministry and getting people um, in the doors at, at churches, that's been critiqued ad nauseum over the last 10, 20 years. I'm wondering, is this the new thing? Like, will this be what people point back to, to youth ministries to kind of critique 10, 20 years kind of into the future, kind of looking back of how we've just fostered this generation of, of the church that cannot even focus on God's word. That is very shallow in their thought thinking, all of that. Y'all, y'all react on just kind of thoughts about the future of how this could shape the church, but is also shaping our, our youth ministries. Kurt, you haven't spoken in a while. Why don't you react? And did all that make sense? I know that was long and rambly. None of it made sense. I award you zero <laughs> points. <laughs> um, I, I put that on a T for you. No, uh, it didn't make sense. And uh, you know, I think that we are going to come to a crossroads. I would not, I don't think this, I'm, I would not be surprised if we didn't come to a crossroads uh, post COVID about um, how people grow spiritually. And I think that we could see a real refining of who is in the church. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, some people, might be maybe they have been coming to church because especially in the regions where we live, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, because it's the thing that we do, right? It's a tradition and you can kind of get into a momentum. Inertia is real and, and you can kind of stay in that momentum regardless of whether you actually have had a real interaction with Jesus Christ and you really believe in him and he's, you're daily trying to follow him. Um, And I think that, uh, the way that that could look is, is that people become far more comfortable at barely paying attention to a church service that's being live streamed or broadcast over the internet. And then that turns into just not really having the church as a part of their lives. And uh, because I would argue that going to worship is only one part of what it means to be a body of believers in a church, that it's a shared life together and a commitment to living, you know, living out what you believe and what Jesus has done for you. And, and yes, that, that worship hour is an important hour and I would never attempt to denigrate it or make it seem like it's not important. But I think that what's becoming clear to me uh, is that uh, for some people that was what church was. And now that that's been available online, now it's starting to become, and or, you know, it's been, we, we've, we've taken the church online. I think it's starting to become, uh, well, that's good enough. I've, I've gotten what I've gotten out of church. I've done my, you know, I've watched or kind of half watched the service and, you know, bringing it back to what you said, John, the reason that we play the games, right. The reason that we play games in youth ministry is not because we're good at games. I didn't take one game class in seminary, although I'm pretty good at games, right? Like I, like it's, you know, I believe it is a skill like to, you know, I've met people who are better than me. So obviously, you know, some people are really good at it. Um, But the reason we do that is so that we can, you know, speak, we spend time with someone, we go on retreats, we go to RYM, we take, we go on mission trips, you know, but that time that we spend together 
is I won't say it's just as important as what we're doing on the mission trip or what's being taught at large group at RYM, but it is important. And the idea that uh, you can cut that part out and just receive, you know, even a virtual RYM, which I was happy that they did or a virtual Sunday school or whatever, and that you're still a part of the community is just a bad idea. And I think that we'll, we're going to reap the, we, we have sown that for whatever reason. And I do think that we're going to reap it. Um, and I don't think it's going to be very fun to reap is, is, and I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, like Nelly negative or whatever. I, but I just do think that there is a, there is that the advent of social media and the worldwide pandemic together are going to fundamentally change the way that church looks in the future. And I don't know what that's going to be, but I, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I think you're you're pretty accurate on that. I mean, obviously we're not prophets by any means, but it does it 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 will be interesting to see, and it it seems like it's going to be a sobering reality for sure. Linda, what are some thoughts you have? Yeah, I'll go in a little bit of a different direction because as you were kind of setting up the question, John, um, it made me think of um, a verse from Proverbs that I recently did a short devotional on, um, where wisdom is calling out to us, and wisdom says. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. And I think so much of what we're seeing with technology and social media is this loss of diligence. And I really think there's so many places in the scripture that we see that like really growing in maturity and wisdom in our faith takes diligence. Um, Like you can't, just do these little two, three minute, like devotional books every day and think like, I'm going to have a, a rich knowledge of the scriptures and wisdom. And so much of life calls for wisdom because yes, there are some things in scripture that we have very clear answers for, but then the scriptures don't tell me which college I should go to, or if I should take this job or that job, or if this is a situation where I should speak up and challenge someone, or if this is a situation where I should definitely just kind of be gracious and quiet. Um, Those all take wisdom. So much of life takes that. And I think that we we're seeing a loss of people being able to focus and have that diligence. And that is harming our biblical literacy and it's harming our wisdom and maturity in the faith. Um, and that is something that we're going to have to disciple the church in a lot. Mm-hmm. Linda, that's such a good point, uh, just about the diligence there. And and so much of, again, social media, just the internet, we want the quick answer. We don't want to do the hard work to, you know, on, on anything and even put in the time over life. I mean, that's how wisdom uh, is, you know, life experience just feeds wisdom. Um, yeah. So it is, uh, you know, again, as we've said, we don't want to be doom and gloom on this, but at the same time, we do want to be discerning and we do want to be forward thinking. And we do want to think about the the practices that we're putting in our ministries and the, the long-term effect that's going to have on believers, uh, you know, five, 10 years down the road. Um, and so I think these are, these are good things to wrestle with. These are good things to, to bring up. And hopefully this conversation will uh, just continue and and others will uh, benefit from it. Uh, Kurt, Linda, look, thanks so much. I know you guys, as we're recording this, this is Wednesday. Uh, Y'all are going to be meeting with students before too long. 
Um, so I hope y'all's time with students goes well uh, this evening. Um, and hopefully we'll get you guys back on the podcast before too long. So Kurt, Linda, thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for, thanks, John.